Jesse, I assume that I am talking to you right now from Alex Jones's guest house. Yep. Yeah, it's a very big guest house. Uh, and he's teaching me a lot about how the government uh, injects hormones into breakfast cereal to turn kids gay and trans. He's he's my new best friend and I've learned a lot from him. I'm so excited to hear about this. Tell us everything. <laughs> well, that part's going to be a little disappointing. We'll get to it. So yeah, I, uh, as our patrons know, or people who follow my dumb tweets know, I was on Joe Rogan last week. Joe Rogan is, uh, he's a dude. That's for he sure. He is a dude. He is a dude. Say what you will of Joe Rogan. You cannot take away the fact that he is very much a dude. One of the dudeliest dudes I've ever met. Uh, they don't make dudes like that in Brooklyn, do they? Oh, no. Or at least me- media Brooklyn, maybe old Brooklyn. As I've heard from some of his listeners, subsequently, I am a soy boy. <laughs> And a cuck? Are you a cuck as well? I'm not sure anyone called me a cuck yet. I'm sure it's coming. But yes, I'm definitely a soy boy. Joe Rogan is not a soy boy. And uh, I think that made for some some interesting conversation. So yeah, he uh, got to go on Rogan. They fly you down there. They put you up in a hotel. All this sort of treatment I'm not used to. It was very fun and very grateful for it. The I talked to you for our patrons right after doing it uh or like an hour you after I was very drunk because I just drank way too much on the show there was a lot of whiskey I drank his CBD energy drink that's like he's there's a combination of a CBD and that doesn't even make any sense that's a direct contradiction right there it makes no sense and that might explain how I got to a bit of a loopy state but I it was a lot of whiskey then a CBD energy drink and then when we were it was this like the Joe Rogan branded CBD energy drink yeah exactly like I meant I yeah <laughs> and then as we're about to start talking about trans kids, I'm like, ooh, I'm also going to need a beer. So it was, um, it was a lot of fun. It was like actually talking to him was fun. Like that's why he's good at what he does because he like he makes you comfortable. He's a fun guy to talk with. Um, afterwards, his listeners got. I'm just going to go over like there's a few sort of things I want to clean up because people were asking me about them on Twitter. One is uh, <laughs> he offered to let me hang out with Alex Jones. And I never followed up on that. <laughs> it's huge, hugely disappointing. Hugely disappointing. Well, so basically, right after we finished recording, I said, Joe, thank you so much. That was super fun. By the way, like if that was a legitimate offer to hang out with Alex Jones, you know, that'd be super interesting. Uh, and, and he was sort of noncommittal. He was like, first he's like, could you do this night? And I was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm doing stuff with the girlfriend and her parents. And then he was like, uh, well, this other night I'm doing a set at this comedy show. You could, and so it's just like, I didn't, I, I sort of got the sense he was being nice, and then this ended in the most anticlimactic way possible. Uh, then he goes to the bathroom, and I'm like, the car's here. I don't really want to, like, pester Joe Rogan about hanging out with Alex Jones after. I also feel a little weird about it because, like, I think Alex Jones has done some really bad shit. Oh, so what? You are a soy boy. I'm a soy boy. But I I, I just – I didn't feel strongly enough about it to, like, wait outside the bathroom for Joe Rogan to be like <laughs> – so Joe, when do we hang out? Where's Alex Jones? Well, uh, maybe just I'll text him directly. Let's all let's all be best friends. Uh, I so I literally just laughed, and that was it. And I also I had my girlfriend's parents are from Austin. I had I wanted to meet a lot of her friends. There's a lot of other stuff to do. But um, interestingly, the most feedback I got, I think, was from people who were very mad that I slightly challenged Joe Rogan, not on like having Alex Jones on, but. Alex Jones said this very specific fucked up thing about the governor of Virginia harvesting harvesting the organs of aborted fetuses. And it was this mishmash of like 
multiple different conspiracy theories. I'm not going to go through them now. I will include credible links in the show notes. But but no, the governor of Virginia is not running a conspiracy to harvest baby organs. And I what sort about of thought, the governor of West Virginia? Yes, that's told. Yes, they, that's what he was confused okay, about. The, okay, okay, gotcha. The governor of West Virginia, the governor's mansion, is built from the bones of of fetuses. Basically, do fetuses it's have like- bones? They must. Have bones. <laughs> no, they're just made out of jello. <laughs> We're so wobbly for the first part of our life. <laughs> but I, I went into Rogan. I was like, I did want to talk to him about this. And I mistakenly thought that I could like dictate the terms of the conversation and that Rogan would be like, oh, you make a really good je- point, Jesse. Thank you for – but of course of course not. He He basically said that like he thinks Alex Jones has made so many predictions in the past that have come true. And I was like, what? And But so he'll say like – Alex Jones knew about Jeffrey Epstein years ago. But it's like, well, everyone knew about right. Jeffrey Epstein years ago. And and Alex Jones will – he basically does what like psychics do with cold reading where he says so many things and then one out of ten will have a kernel of truth. So um, anyway, I think the basic lesson here is to stop. If you go on Joe Rogan, do not think you will have any control over the conversation. I also tried to push my book. That didn't work because he wasn't interested in it. But – we talked for four hours and a lot of the conversation was really interesting. We talked about psychedelics. We talked about how neither of us would go into space with Richard Branson because we're too scared, stuff like that. Has Have you seen a spike in book sales since this? I don't think there's much. I think whether or not you get the Rogan bump probably depends a lot on like what kind of guests you are. And I think I was maybe like – so I yeah, obviously I sold some books. I, I didn't – on Amazon, you can jump – Tens of thousands of places, but that doesn't translate to that many book sales. I did not see a bump for our Patreons, though it's growing steadily and we're amazed at how it's doing. And um, I didn't see a bump for just our listeners yet. I guess the the real test will be next episode, this one, if we come in with a little- What about Twitter followers? Did you yeah. get a bunch of Twitter followers? Yeah, you get I, – I mean, I, well, not insane. That's the most worthless possible I know it really thing. Is. Like, yeah. who cares about Twitter followers? We want money. Yeah, exactly. So Joe Rogan fans, send me money. Um and then, yeah, the only other thing – oh, yeah, they were mad. Here, I'll just drop this clip in that I sent you. It was very weird. When he walked in, though, I'm telling you, man, they, they cheered the fuck out of him. Oh, they, he they, has like a fucking um, – some dead-enders who really want to see him be president again one way or another. As you heard, I basically said Trump people are dead-enders, and, and Joe Rogan's fans were furious about that, that I called them dead-enders. Well, I think you guys are dead-enders if you still follow Trump, and definitely if you think he's going to be reinstalled as president, you're dead-enders. Sorry. Get over it. Facts. Do you think there's a chance that he might be re-elected as president? Yeah. Or I'm... elected for the first time as president? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How could anyone at this juncture in American history be like, no, that's impossible. Trump will, will... – he's. I, I mean, he would be a runaway favorite to win the 2024 primary. Um I meant dead enders more in the sense of like, how are you still supporting this ridiculous cause? Not that it's impossible he could. Win. I don't think it's impossible he could win the election. Uh, and then the one other thing I wanted to talk about is like, Katie, the one thing I'm kicking myself the most over, over is like a profound missed opportunity. What was that? So they post various clips to the Rogan YouTube, and I, I made the mistake to look at the comments and. In the clips where they were mad at me, the Rogan fans, they made fun of me for having a big nose. I did see that. I did see that. It was, uh, you got body shamed. And it was, I got body shamed. And then, but I did, and then I saw, so I, I didn't see this on the comments on the, on the YouTube. I saw this on the Rogan subreddit. And then there was some debate on the subreddit over whether talking about your nose is inherently anti Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But I realized way too late what I should have done is I should have 
posted the link to Twitter, been like, I was on Joe Rogan, immediately deleted my account. And then issued a statement through you that was like, Joe Rogan's fans <laughs> harassed me Harass. off the internet. I cannot turn on my computer. Jesse was driven off the internet by anti-Semitic body shamers. <laughs> they nose-shamed me, Katie. Uh, I'm sorry they did that to you. That was unkind. It's okay. I have a big nose. It's fine. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I, I think everyone listening to this should go on Rogan. I totally recommend the experience. Everyone listening? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you have a chance, I... I really want you to go on Rogan because I think that'll – I think his listeners will like you more because you're like – you know, you're a big Alex Jones guy. I'm less guy. of a soy boy. You're less of a soy boy, stuff like that. Well, uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to do it, Joe. I'm sure you're listening to this right now. The thing is he he didn't seem to have like that much idea of who you are. No. And I'm sure he has even less idea of who I am. So it's going to take like <laughs> like some sort of introduction by a mutual. And luckily I have one and it's you. I think the only time he exhibited much familiarity with who I was was like at the beginning. He's like, yeah, I read some of your tweets. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That said, I thought in terms of like rapport and chemistry, I was, I was pleased with how it went. I just obviously would have liked to talk more about the podcast in the book. I I don't think I brought the podcast up for. What'd you say? 30 minutes? 49 minutes. (laughs) You actually marked how long it (laughs) You did do a good job though. I was impressed. Uh, You know, you would think that maybe like Jesse Single and Joe Rogan wouldn't have that much in common considering you're like the epitome of the beta male and he is the – and he, you know, he's a wolf. He's huge um, by the way. Like I mean short yeah. but he's just so wide. Like he would kill right. me. And you had suggested having him break my arm on air to create a viral incident. Yeah, I wanted you to arm wrestle with him. I asked him and he refused to do so. <sighs> I guess he's the soy boy now. I fucked up by bringing up the Jones thing. I didn't come prepared with like tight enough command of the facts. Of course, he's not going to roll over and be like um, – and to be clear, I'm not saying never – I think interviews with Alex Jones in the right way can be interesting. I just think like when you have the point where he's fucking telling millions of your listeners the governor of Virginia, a specific dude, is harvesting baby organs, that is uh, – as soy boys say, it's problematic. Yeah. In the comments that I read, a lot of people I think misinterpreted, especially on the Rogan subreddit, misinterpreted what you were saying and, were, and thought that you were calling for Jones to be – Platform never said that, which I don't think. Yeah, I listened to it, I didn't hear that, but uh, they apparently didn't listen very closely. So, boys, check yourselves, check yourself, boys. Should we just go to war with the entire Joe Rogan fan base? <laughs> yeah, Every yeah, Joe, listen, idea. if you listen to Joe Rogan, you're listening to this, screw you. <laughs> uh, oh, also, I shot, I got to shoot guns with John Stokes. I, I I'll just that. link to Twitter, yeah. So, I shot. Two pistols, one of which had striker in the name, and then an AR-15. Wow. Uh, I found the experience terrifying. I was, I'm so scared of guns. I'm a Massachusetts soy boy liberal, but it was, uh, it was fun. Are you the first Jew to ever shoot an AR-15? Dude, have you heard of the Israeli army? Come on. Oh, good point. Good we're, point. We're, we're good. We're yeah, good with guns. Yeah, but you're, you're an American Jew. It's different. Yeah. The, uh, the only gun I shoot is a, a carbohydrate gun into my heart from all the bagels, you know? <laughs> All right, Jesse. Well, congratulations on this. I thought you did good. There were no points of it that I was uh, embarrassed for you, and my uh, my expectations were pretty low. So you did good. That's weird, given that I embarrass you like twelve times per episode of this podcast. Yeah. But uh, thank you, Katie. I would love to get you on there. I I don't have. I'm not going to say Joe and I are going to like hang out a lot after this. If we were, I would try to make that happen. But listeners, if any of you are like married to Joe Rogan or you're his daughter, uh, hit us up. We got to get Katie on there. Katie, what is the name of this podcast? 
This is the new and improved Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I am a newly empowered, newly platformed, newly legitimized Jesse Single. God help us all. And today, what are we talking about? You you took a fucking deep dive into, is it just Lolita fashion or Lolita subculture? What is it? I'll explain, I'll explain all of this in a moment. We're going to talk about some drama within a very niche uh, niche hobbyist community on YouTube. You sent me like five pages on this. And first of all, when I saw Lolita and then I saw what it was really about, that that was some... Um, it's confusing. Got a little bit of whiplash. It's confusing, yeah. Uh, we're also... But let's start by talking a little bit about this Rachel Nichols ESPN thing. Okay, but first, I have a slight update to one of our former stories. Ooh. Okay, do you remember the story, Jesse? We did this sometime last year. I'll find it and post a link in the show notes. Um, this was about the problematic monkeys in the Seattle neighborhood, the Christmas monkeys. Yeah, this infuriated me. Basically, this this Seattle neighborhood had a um, a tradition of putting up these festive holiday monkeys without failing to realize that to the anti-racist, enlightened person, anytime you see a monkey in any context, it makes you think of black people. Exactly. So this is a neighborhood in Seattle called Finney, Finney Ridge Greenwood. So Finneywood. And it's nearby. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. I can't hear that without laughing. Yeah. It's so anatomical sounding. And so it's near a zoo. So for years, they would put up these lights within the local business uh, business windows that were just these sort of, the theme was like escape from the zoo. And it was this sort of secular Christmas fun, cute little thing. They hired a DEI diversity uh, coordinator type person to be to, to run the organization. This woman complained um, and the lights were taken down. So update to the story. A listener sent me this. This is from the Finneywood.com, the Finneywood uh, local community website newsletter. They are replacing the monkeys and they are crowdsourcing what to replace them with. So I'm going to read you a couple of paragraphs from this little article. To help hone down the massive list of possibilities, the steering committee decided that the focus should be Pacific Northwest, cool, and easily identifiable with regard to the final choices. The zoo submitted a list of animals that they house and, helped cre- and could help create a new mythos for this tradition. Pond turtle, lynx, river otter, owl, and wolf. So there's a little asterisk there. And then you go to the bottom. 721 update. Thanks to community feedback, we removed raccoon from the list of options <laughs> due to negative historical racial caricature. Oh my god! I fucking hate Seattle, man. We've de- we've decided uh. to uh, to replace the monkeys with hook nosed cockroaches. <laughs> All right, so this is what's going on in Seattle these days. Chop Chaz is over, but we are still debating. What animals are racist? A lot has already been said about like this whole sort of professional class of diversity trainers who don't really do anything. But in this case, you had what was a complete non-problem. And it'd be amazing to then trace how much money that one consultant made and how much money the community has spent on this, like on a completely non-issue that only became an issue when like a diversity trainer arrived on the scene looking for stuff to uh, to find problematic. Right. Well, I think the diversity trainer was actually the executive the executive of this organization, she got hired. She has a background in DEI, but she was hired as the executive to run this organization. Her tenure lasted about six months. And one other thing to note here. So in addition to removing the monkeys from this, the business windows, and we talked about this in the original podcast, 
They also removed from the community center, they had two water fountains, an old water fountain, like a short old water fountain, and then a new uh, like ADA compliant water fountain with a water bottle filler. And they also removed one of the the old water fountain because having two water fountains side by side was reminiscent, according to these people, of segregation. So they had a basically they had a kids water fountain and they took it out. This is really important stuff, and I understand why uh, people spend so much time and money thinking about it. It's the only way to justice, Katie. The only path. That's how you solve racism is getting getting rid of uh, child sized water fountains. Oh man! Well, I'm glad you've been keeping an eye on that story because it's uh, hilarious. There will probably be more updates in the future. As as every animal on that list, someone points out some link to a problematic caricature. They should just do a fucking orca anyway. Orcas are really cool. Pond turtle? Yeah, pond turtles pond are turtle? so fucking Links? lame. Turtles are just like, oh, I don't know. I've got a whole thing. but Okay, should we move on to uh, the next segment? The next racial incident, yes. Um, so we're a couple of weeks late on this, but it's a really interesting story. The Times ran a piece about Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. They are both on-air talent at ESPN, at least Taylor's at ESPN for now, I guess. Um, some question over whether she'll come to terms for a new contract. Nichols hosts The Jump and appears on ESPN in a variety of capacities. Maria Taylor's also a big name. I think Taylor's like 10 or 15 years younger than Nichols. Okay. About a year ago, the NBA uh, – this was actually the moment I realized how – bad the pandemic was going to be. The NBA was like, we're halting all our games. We're shutting down. And then a little while later, they did this reboot in a bubble in Disney World. Basically, they took all the teams still in playoff contention and had them um, just restricted them to Disney World to control the spread of COVID. So Rachel Nichols is staying in a Disney World hotel. Uh, This is in a year ago, July of last year, isolated for seven days prior to the NBA season's restart. And um, she wanted to host the NBA's pregame and postgame finals coverage. Uh, That host is the face of ESPN's NBA coverage. And before the pandemic, both she, meaning Nichols, and Taylor hosted different versions of the show, reported the times. Okay, so July 13th, Nichols calls Adam Mendelson. He's a longtime advisor of the LA Lakers, uh, of their stars, LeBron James, and and James' agent, Rich Paul. Nichols calls him. She wants to set up interviews with LeBron James and with uh, Anthony Davis, the Lakers' other superstar. So during this call, she also sought advice from Mendelssohn because she thought that she was sort of losing out to Taylor because Taylor is black and she is white. Uh, you with me so far? I know you're a big sports person. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Um, here's the fucked up part. As Nichols is having this conversation uh, with Mendelssohn, sorry, is with Mendelssohn and LeBron James agent Rich Paul, uh, she's being recorded. And that recording is being sent to a server in Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is based. This is sort of the mysterious part of the story. What what people seem to think happened is that Nichols didn't turn the camera off when she was recording a segment from her hotel room. So here's the clip of what she said. So they said to me, hey, instead of hosting the NBA Finals, like, why don't you do Doris's silent reporter job for the NBA Finals? Basketball. 
would you need her to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your like crappy long time record on diversity which by the way I myself like know personally from the female side of it like go for it just you know find it somewhere else like you're not going to find it with me than taking my thing away so so what's what's your sort of interpretation of what she's saying it seems like she's saying that her colleague is getting opportunities that she's not because of race and not in a she doesn't it doesn't seem hostile she says like ESPN has a shitty history on diversity and she acknowledges that there's a need to diversify but she's also saying like uh I'm not going to get this job or I don't think I'm going to get this job or whatever because I'm I'm white she's white right yeah yeah is that what's going on yeah, and and it's interesting because she she seems to be not really blaming it on Taylor per se, but she's saying like, no, ESPN is trying to remedy this idea that it has racial problems, and I just I don't want that to happen at my expense. And and one of the reasons this is an interesting story is like, I I've heard from like a fair number of otherwise very liberal. Uh, it's usually white men in academia and journalism who are just convinced that like for these, for these sort of top tier or editorial positions or tenured professorships, they feel like they're being punished, um, because schools are trying to sort of rectify past sins. And, you know, it, it's, it's such a sort of common conservative talking point, but I, I, I do think that like, it seems to be true. And, and there's probably a case forward, especially for like institutions that have been traditionally not had diversity and been racially insensitive. But I don't know. It seems like I don't, I don't know the in and out details of this case, but it sort of seems undeniable that this is becoming a big factor for like really top tier positions, right? Well, I mean, it, it's not a secret. Like these organizations have directives to diversify. So if you have a directive to diversify, if you have a mission to diversify and you start to diversify, and part of that means if you have a limited number of positions with something like on-air talent would be very limited, then if you hire people of color, then that is literally your like that's part of your directive i don't see why this is controversial she's pointing out something that's happening yeah yeah and especially like a situation like this where like only one person can really host a lot of these segments or appear on a lot of them um it it seems tough and so basically this got this was leaked and we now know who leaked it a young staffer sent it directly to taylor and this created all kinds of drama um so why was Taylor mad about this? Or why was anybody mad about this? I mean, I'm, I'm sure people were, but what's the, what's the, like, uh, the steel man version of why this is bad? Well, I think from Taylor's point of view, she's hearing one of her colleagues talk about her in a less than flattering and undermining way, although it wasn't to like- I didn't think it was unflattering. I think she's basically saying, I, I, on a merit argument, I should have this position. Taylor doesn't necessarily deserve it. Although it was also more of just like, I've paid my dues and I'm in line for this. Right. I guess. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, what was sort of amazing was like the clusterfuck that ensued, uh, to avoid having Taylor and Nichols interact, all of Nichols' appearances on NBA Countdown this season were pre-recorded, but often in a way to make segments appear as if they aired live. Appearances by other sideline reporters were a mixture of live and pre-recorded. I feel very bad for these editors that have to make it like look like <laughs> it's such a mess. Wait, so did she get in trouble at ESPN for this? Nichols was told by like her bosses that no, nothing you said was discipline worthy. And I think they're also really sensitive to Good this. For them. Yeah. Nichols also raised this idea. She, she mentioned 
a reporter being recorded against her will in a hotel room. Do you remember the uh, Aaron Andrews story? No, who's that? This was a reporter who I think in 2008, she had a literal stalker filming her undressing through peepholes, which is obviously a very different situation. This guy ended up uh, being put away. Wait, through a peephole? How do you even do that? I'll, I'll, I know how. I'll say I'll let you know after. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked into this deeply. No, this was like a deeply fucked up story, you know, way pre-me too and, and just awful. So I think ESPN's like very sensitive about – they need to be so – issue? Well, <laughs> this is obviously different, but it was someone recorded against their will in a conversation they thought was private. And interestingly, interestingly, the employee – maybe I'm the bad guy here. The employee who leaked this from Nichols to Taylor, sparking all sorts of institutional clusterfuckery, she was black and she was only suspended for two weeks. I, I don't think you can have employees leaking stuff from one – that wasn't supposed to be recorded from one employee to another. That like that seems pretty fucked up. Oh, that does seem fucked up. I mean, just the amount of drama that this has caused the organization. Yeah, that is surprising that this only resulted in a in a two week uh, a two week suspension. But naturally, some of the coverage was like the you know the only person punished was a person of color, and it's just that well, that essential. Maybe that's because the only person who did something wrong was the person <laughs> who who uh, took a. Correspond- private correspondence and linked it to somebody. The person who basically doused Bristol in kerosene and then lit a match. Yeah, that she right. happened. Well, to- two weeks seems fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is such a. F- yeah, this this kind of reminds me of the. Do you remember that? I think it was from Georgetown. A law school instructor uh, on a on a hot mic basically had a conversation with a colleague saying, um, "Do you remember this one?" Yeah, she basically said it was like after a Zoom class, she said that uh, black students didn't perform as well, right? She was complaining because she was saying that her bottom students were black and she was, uh, she was, she was bitching about it. She was saying like, I don't know what to do about this. And then stupidly uploaded this to, uh, like as part of the, you know, she's uploading the lecture and the entire thing got uploaded and she was fired for this, I believe. Yeah, I, I felt complicated about that one because, like, again, even if you, like, parse what she said very closely and you're like, she's just honestly describing whatever, whatever, like, it, it would, I think, then be hard to be a black student in her classroom. So I think that's, like, that introduces, like – Yeah, but you can't fire people for stating – st- like, that's like firing somebody for stating the, their fucking lived reality. Wasn't that James Damore's Twitter handle after he got fired? At Fired for Truth? I, I, it probably was, yes. I think it, I think it was. Uh yeah, that one, that one I, I'm more torn on, maybe a suspension. That one, at least you can be like, well, this would make things harder for her students. This one is, I don't know, it just seems like Nichols is describing some of the inherent tensions to moving toward a system that recognizes diversity as like its own good. I mean, that's the funny thing is like, okay, these corporations, these institutions have agreed, have decided diversity for its own sake is important, is good. Maybe they're doing it from public pressure. Maybe they're doing it because they genuinely believe it. Probably there's a little mix of both. And the acknowledgement of that is somehow – like we're supposed to pretend it's not happening. There's many elements of the sort of like the emperor's got his dick hanging out now. So <laughs> ignore what's happening right now. The emperor, it's a real emperor's new dick sort of situation. Yeah. You know, I – well, I worked at a place, I won't name it, this was years ago. I worked at a place that was, had a, had a sort of a fellowship program for young people. And someone put me in touch with a, like a young, uh, a recent college grad from my hometown, a white, a white woman. 
And she wanted some advice on applying for this fellowship. And I talked to her and I said, look, I'm going to be straight with you. You're not going to get it because they are using this. This is not explicitly a diversity fellowship, but they need to diversify the newsroom. And they have not done it at the with staff positions. So they were using this fellowship to do it. And I was right. <laughs> you know, I was speaking the truth. Uh, was that in politic? Maybe. Was that something that could have gotten me in trouble at work? Probably. But it's also, it was true. It was explicit. Yeah. I mean, it, that is that weird thing where like a media outlet is like, we're trying to diversify. And then you point out, okay, so you're using that as a factor in hire. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what we meant. It's like, it's, and I, and there may well be, I don't know, man, you had, Decades of white people clearly having like an explicit advantage. Maybe this is the way to to address that. You just need to acknowledge there's, there's obviously some trade-offs like there's trade-offs to any approach. In me- we've talked about this. In media, at least, it is – it's just, again, emperor's new dick. Um, it's insane to claim that – it's insane to claim that in, in a hiring context, all else being equal – there aren't benefits to not to being not white. But again, that's different from the structural thing, which is certain groups have advantages and have had advantages over the years. And overall, I, I, I do think the more fruitful approach is like, you know, uh, figuring out how a way to get more and better black applicants, which some outlets, like I feel like the Atlantic and BuzzFeed have done a really good job of diversifying that way. But um, there's trade-offs here for sure. Yeah, and there's also – there's this other thing that I probably shouldn't talk about, but I will do it anyway because what's the point of having a – self-funded Patreon if you can't say what you want. There are I've talked to people in lots of different fields who have had this experience. People of all races, and I'm I'm talking medicine, I'm talking academia, media, where you have a colleague who for whatever reason underperforms and that person is fired from their job and complains about racism. Whether or not there's racism, maybe perceives racism, maybe really deeply feels that this person was fired because of their race. And then you talk to their colleagues and the colleagues are like, no, she was late every day. This is why she was fired. And I think in some situations, there can be a fear of firing somebody or disciplining somebody because of their race. I mean, just like this piece that I did for Barry Weiss a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago on quote unquote wokeness in medicine. I talked to doctors who told me this, that they would have residents who were bad at their jobs, who were underperforming, who wouldn't show up at work. And they felt afraid to criticize these residents because the residents could, in theory, complain to HR that they were the victims of racism. And if you're a doctor and one of your trainees files a complaint against you that goes for real on your permanent record that is not something that you want to happen i mean i look i've I've seen much lower six but i've seen versions of this where i will criticize someone for getting something wrong journalistically and they'll jump straight to oh you're so you're criticizing me because i'm whatever people do like to weaponize that stuff because it gives them a great deal of power in in liberal settings at least totally and this is you know i've also worked like i worked in in some very like working class settings blue collar settings warehouses that had the opposite problem where straight up black people couldn't get hired. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of this depends on the industry you're in. It depends on the, on the sort of class, the, the field. This is not to say that, you know, the, the racism isn't real, but we need to be a little bit more specific about what's going on in these places. I just think that, um, that living through the experience of, uh, being the victim of a hate crime at the hands of Joe Rogan's listeners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just given me a new and, and more enlightened perspective on this stuff. 
You are a victim. You are a victim. Uh, I think Joe Rogan's podcast needs to be shut down because of the mean YouTube comments, to be fair. Well, I mean, first you platform him and then now you want to de-platform him. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, I just – I found this to be an interesting story because I obviously like the ones where we're faced with the fact that there's some trade-offs here and there's like some people are going to be unhappy with them. So links in the show notes as always. Anything else on this, Katie? Uh, I think that's it. Katie, it's time for some housekeeping. Let's keep this house. <laughs> Get out your duster and your vacuum. We should have some snazzy music for this segment because it's so interesting. Block to report a podcast at gmail.com. If you want to console me uh, after my hate crime incident, uh, reddit.com slash r slash block to reported. Uh, barpod.org for merch. I finally got my, I had had no merch. And then I was like, I'll wear a blocked reported shirt on Joe Rogan. And then you were like, it takes way too long to ship. And I was like, fuck. And then I didn't. You've totally failed. Has it arrived yet? It is. I now have the mug and I think the shirt just came. So I'm going to wear them everywhere I go. I'm wearing mine right now. It's quite comfortable. Are you really? Do you yeah. always wear it when we record? No, I, I wear I wear my hoodie fairly often. Um, it is very comfortable. I uh, there's you know you can get the blocked and reported hoodie that says with with Katie Herzog and Jesse Single, and I just took a sharpie and I and I uh, marked out your name. So now and then you wrote in Katie Herzog. So it's now with Katie Herzog and Katie Herzog. I said Katie Herzog and Moose. What's your uh, – I like the idea of like wearing this as like your game day ritual. What's, what's your pre-recording ritual? Uh, wake up, text you and ask you if we can do it 30 minutes late because I'm very cozy cuddling with my dog. Get up, walk to my office and start recording. Cool. I um, For me, 30 <laughs> minutes before, I'll just look in like a full body mirror and just scream at myself like, fuck you, fuck you, you piece of shit, <laughs> fuck you. And that gets me fired up to uh, to perform at my best. I should have done that before Rogan. I didn't. You should have. Every once in a while, I'll do a push-up just to really get in the mood. A single push-up? Yeah, girl style on my knees. Push-ups are, are hard. Like We can be honest about that. Um, okay, barpod.org for merch. What did I forget? Oh, rate and review us on Apple uh, Podcasts. Also, okay, so last week we launched these personals. I think we have like half a dozen – you have volunteered to coordinate this, but explain it again. This I will be the uh, what's the the Jewish word for a matchmaker? Oh fuck, a um yenta? No, no, that's like someone who a busybody. Let me look it up. Matchmaker, Make a matchmaker, matchmaker, yeah. Shachan. It says there is a mistaken belief that the word for Jewish matchmaker is yenta or yenta. Shiduk. I don't know. Matchmaker. matchmaker. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be that. Uh, Katie. Okay, so there's been some. Confusion over what information people should and shouldn't send. I noticed a couple people sent in their personals without saying whether they were looking for males or females. I oh. I understand we live in enlightened times <laughs> and these are all fake, but that that might be useful. Okay, what else should they include? Okay, so to back up for our new Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan fan base here who doesn't know what the fuck we're talking about, we have a Patreon. If you go to Blocked and Reported, wait, no. <laughs> if you go to patreon.com slash blocked and reported for just $5 a month, you can get a bunch of goodies, including ad free episodes, three extra episodes of this podcast every month, Ask Me Anythings, uh, monthly hangouts. Is it monthly or bi monthly? No, every two months. Whatever. Um, and we launched a new feature last week, which is a matchmaking service. So for Patreons, send us through the Patreon app, send us a personal ad. Keep it short. Name your location. Tell us what exactly you're looking for. Maybe don't be too specific, but yes, male, female, non-binary, furry, whatever. 
just, uh, you know, the same thing that you would do on any sort of personal ad. Make sure to name your location and give us your email address too so we can forward any responses. We will read a couple of these on the uh, on the show starting next week. Why don't I just read one of them now to get us started? Okay, do it. We got a lot, dude. This is going to be a lot of work for you, Katie. All right, we're going to keep this up for a little while and see how it goes. I like the title of this one. <clears throat> Cuddling of the American Mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. 33-year-old straight white female listener who is into yoga and might have only three quarters of a brain. Currently living abroad (laughs) from Utah, so all my family's ideas come pre-canceled and have great tits if you're into that kind of thing. All right. Fuck cheer. Fuck everything. Here's my concern is that in any of these settings, there's going to be an asymmetry where her mention of her great tits, she now gets – 500 responses. Oh, I guess if we restrict it to pay, you have to be a patron to respond, right? No, you have to. No, you can be, you can anyone. be anyone. This is great. So we're just chumming the waters with like salmon meat for the sharks. <laughs> entire, entire internet. Here's a 33 year old woman describing her great tits. If you want to date her, she's only seeking men open to dates in Mexico city, but my roots are in salt lake. That's like, she might be a, she might be a Romney. Yeah. She said, uh, well, that's not her last name, but she, her ideas come pre-canceled, but she's, uh, 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 just, I'm so, I just think there's going to be the number of lawsuits and or murders as a result of this is going to be not zero is my, my concern. Look, okay. If you file a personal ad with us or if you respond to a personal ad and, how do how are we gonna do those responses? <laughs> we didn't even think this through at all. I, I'm someone who doesn't think shit through at all. I mean, I just went on Joe Rogan without a plan for addressing Alice Jones. But so the idea is, people can we just have people email you if they're interested in this? Well, who should no, they, email? they should email the blocked and reported uh, the blocked and reported email, and I will check it. I've never checked it before, but I will check it. Okay, you got to be honest because I don't know how this is gonna. Okay, work. if you want to respond to this personal ad. Email blocked and reported at g- blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Put personal ad in the headline and I will forward your notes to our patron here, our beautiful big titted patron. <laughs> Which makes sense because this is a beautiful big titted podcast. It sure is. We're going to do it for one month and see how this works. And if this is a total fucking disaster, we will quit it. But important point here by joining this, this, dating service is personal service you take on all personal legal financial liability you cannot sue us i feel i it worries me that i have to ask you this explicitly but i feel like i do you know that that is is legally worthless saying that right (laughs) jesse it's not about whether i know this or not it's about whether our (laughs) listeners know this or not i'm not going to answer that question uh Okay, well, she's in Mexico City. There's never been any violence there, so we're off to a good start. Okay, so if you want to respond to this, email blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. We will forward the responses to her and let her do the vetting. So all I have to do is is forward responses. Okay, but you're – but just – okay. But there's going to be 50 people responding to her, so you're going to forward all 50 yeah. of those responses? I'm not going to vet. Okay. I would I – would. That's not my responsibility <laughs> to vet these people. Yeah. The only dating service with no vetting where tens of thousands of this people is, hear – Okay. Well, look, uh, we'll see how this goes. This is just like – it's like a personal ad through a newspaper. This is old school. Like if – like yeah. it's the same way that a classified would have worked. Although maybe we should have set up like a phone number or something like that. But uh, – or a dedicated maybe. email address. 
Or even dedicated email address. Okay, let's set up a dedicated email address. Okay. All right. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to see if I can get blocked and reported personals real quick. This is going to be the 9-11 of of personals. All right. Success, Jesse. We now own barprodpersonals at gmail.com. If you want to reply to this or any of our other personal ads, email barpodpersonals at gmail.com and I will forward the responses once again without vetting them at all because that is on everybody's individual responsibility list. We are a conservative bootstraps politics podcast. We are not going to take care of this for you. If you want to respond, barpodpersonals at gmail.com. And this was cuddling of the American mind. And remember, if you want to post a personal, you have to be a Patreon and you have to send that via the messaging feature. Uh, I, this is going to be, this is going to be amazing. I'm, I was being too pessimistic. I'm very excited for this. It's going to be a total disaster, but we're going to try it for one month anyway. Okay. Is that, is that housekeeping and random bullshit? Are we ready to move on to Lolita's? Yes. Join the Patreon, patreon.org slash blocked and reported. Is that right? No, patreon.com slash blocked and reported. This is just the the depths of unprofessionalism. (laughs) Uh, All right. Listen, Katie, I had a taste of professional podcasting. Look, he has a producer. This is just a scrappy upstart with us doing it ourselves. We don't have professionals here. Can you imagine if we were in the same room and there was just like bottomless alcohol and weed, which is – those are the conditions under which he records. We would, we would produce some interesting stuff. a terrible stuff. idea. It's such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you sent me like five pages of very thorough notes on Lolita's. I could not follow it. So you're going to have to explain to me what's going on here. It does seem interesting. Okay. Are, have you ever heard of Lolita's? Yes, but obviously like the, the other kind, like a uh, – Okay, so that's Lolita. I'm talking about Lolitas. No, it was it was completely new to me until I read your notes or skimmed your notes. Lolita is a Japanese Victorian-inspired fashion developed in the 1970s. So picture sort of Wuthering Heights, uh, big poofy skirts, lots of lace, ornate Victorian fashion, and then mash that together with anime. And that's sort of what you get. Okay, I uh, yeah, I saw some photos. It seemed like um, seemed a little weird, but I, I, it's a it's definitely a unique aesthetic, and I could see people have weird interests. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, there's going to be a lot of confusion when people first hear about this because of the Nabokov book. Um, here's a little explainer on Reddit. I thought that this was really helpful. While the the name might squick Westerners, the fashion has nothing to do with that awful pedophilic book. The style actually originates from a feminist rebellion by young women against societal and parental expectations that they should dress and act in a certain way in order to attract a husband. Instead, early Lolitas created clothing that was heavily influenced by cutesy little girl styles in order to dissuade men from approaching them. These days, Lolita is worn around the world. Most people only wear it for special occasions like meetups and other lo- with lo- other Lolitas and outings. They have Lolita events at conventions, sponsored tea parties, and are a bustling online buy-sell community. Okay, so it's based directly on the book. Got it. <laughs> so we'll put links in the show notes that can give you some some actual images of, of what this looks like, but I'm going to just read a little bit more from Reddit so um, people can get try to get the image. The fashion itself focuses on a few key elements – 
poofy dresses or skirts, modest cuts with minimal skin showing, lace, ruffles, frills, and carefully coordinated looks where every element matches. There are also plenty of sub-styles, but the most popular are sweet, classic, and gothic. Sweet Lolita, Lolita is full of pastel colors, baby animal motifs, sweet foods, and fluffy stuff. Classic looks like a Victorian doll, using more subdued color palettes and sim- and simple or older looking prints. Gothic focuses on black or very dark colors, crosses, bats, and spikes, while still maintaining the key elements of the overall style. There are other subtitles too, like Lolita, Pirate Lolita, Military Lolita, and Country Lolita, but most follow one of the main three styles. Got it? Okay. Yeah, I have the basics. Okay. It's got nothing to do with pedophilia, although I googled Lovely Lord Lolita, which is the name of, of one of these creators we're going to be talking about in a moment. And I got, this is the first time I've ever seen this on Google. An image came up, warning, child sexual abuse imagery is illegal. If you see sexually explicit images or videos of minors on the web, please report it. So even Googling the term of this creator and Lolita, which is like what she does, you get a warning for child sex abuse for kitty porn. It's cr- it's crazy to me that if you search for photos of young women dressed a certain way <laughs> called Lolita, Google thinks it has something to do with sex abuse. So the reason we are talking about Lolitas today is because there was recently some major drama in the Lolita community. Uh-oh. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking that an internet subculture would have drama. Okay, so there's this creator named Lovely Lore. She has right now 120,000 followers on YouTube, and she is a, uh, she's, let me just read you a description of her also from Reddit. If you're not familiar with Lovely Lore, she's well known for being basically the mother hen to the entire community. She's a sweet Canadian girl who pretty much shoots sunshine and rainbows out of her mouth every time she speaks. She rarely has an ill word to say about anyone or anything, and when she does, she apologizes continuously for it and fastidiously explains her critique. So we're about to hear a bunch of clips from an apology video posted on her channel by Lovely Lore. The video is called, I am very sorry addressing my recent actions on social media and past ignorance. All right, Jesse, just describe what you're seeing. <laughs> Any video that starts, I want to apologize to my black followers. Um, She's just this very earnest looking made up woman with like big eyes and she looks so earnest and sad and conciliatory. Uh, I feel bad for her. I'm cringing a little bit because I, I know how people like her get victimized by the online world. Right. So she's not, she doesn't look like she's in like full Lolita wear in no, this she's video, not, yeah. but she is wearing a frilly, a, a, a shirt that looks like very, it is sort of Victorian. It's sort of a vintage Victorian, very pastels. Like she's in a room with pink walls. Um, yeah. She's got very pastel makeup on. She looks very concerned. Also giant eyes. Huge eyes, yeah. So lovely lore. This actually, most of this happened in January, but we just heard about it now because we just found out that Lolita's exists now. Okay, so lovely lore got in trouble with her community. We're going to let her explain it in her own words. I am so sorry to my black followers, black Lolitas, the black community, any person of color, as well as the Jewish community, that my actions have hurt. I never want to hurt any of you. I am extremely sorry for the way that I have interacted with social media. I accidentally liked a photo of a makeup influencer at the Capitol riots of the White House on January 6th, 2021. These riots were in support of Trump and led by many white supremacists. I have no memory of seeing this photo 
or liking it, and I would never do this intentionally. I am so sorry for everyone who saw the screenshot of this or will see it and thought that I supported this. I do not. I understand that seeing me interact with a post like this would be extremely hurtful and I am putting severe boundaries on myself and the way that I use social media so that this never happens again. Dude, th just this 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 stilted apology language, which we're actually going to talk about in our next patrons episode, but it, it's so weird because this is so obviously a mistake anyone could make when you're just mindlessly scrolling and clicking and liking. It really looks like a hostage video. And Instagram, for people who don't have Instagram, it is really easy to accidentally like people's photos because you just tap on it, um, which is why you have, you know, you're like deep diving into one of your enemy's Instagrams and all of a sudden you've liked a photo from 2015. No. <laughs> it's a terrible feature. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's a, I don't, I haven't seen the photo, but if she's just like someone looked good, she might like it without knowing the full context. That could totally happen. The the photo, it sort of looked like, like gritty at the uh, gritty at the riots. <laughs> it was like this, like like a very like someone wearing like a really elaborate mask um, that who would have been at home in uh, the Philadelphia hockey community. Um, okay, so she accidentally lights this photo. Screenshots start circulating on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, go to the next clip. This explains uh, what she explains what happened. When I saw the screenshot, I had no memory of seeing the photo, which really scares and upset me. I should not have let this pass through my consciousness without immediately unfollowing the person and not liking it. I had a bad habit of quickly scrolling through my Instagram and liking everything in my feed, which I am not going to do anymore. I have since unliked and unfollowed the person, and I am in a place of privilege as a white person that I can make this mistake without causing immediate danger to my safety whereas black people and people of color do not have this privilege. Bleep, bloop, privilege, privilege acknowledgement <laughs> protocol initiated. I am sorry. Bleep, bloop. We should build a privilege robot. What does she mean when she says, what What threat to their physical safety would apply? I have no idea. I have no idea. Let's try to steal, man. You see this a lot where because the basic it doesn't make any sense. No, I know, but it's it's tied in the basic line that like people of color walk around all day just waiting to get like murdered by cops or whatever. But in this case, what could the what is there anything she could mean that makes sense? What I mean, it I do not understand how liking a photo on Instagram could put anyone except for somebody involved in a psychotic community that is that is trolling your likes for content hmm. uh, would actually like, like face any sort of danger here. I mean, getting called out by your friends. Sure. But some sort of physical danger for liking a fucking photo of gritty at the, at the, at the, the big, the big riot, right. In DC, it doesn't make any sense. I also love how she says, I should not have left this past through my consciousness, which it clearly didn't because she doesn't even fucking remember. This is all so religious. It's so like this is at this point a cliched point, but it is so religious. It's just like for a godless people, this is what's replacing sort of religious uh, ablution rituals and stuff. So, she, so after the screenshot starts circulating, she posts these multiple apologies, asking her followers to tell her if she's ever interacted with or will interact in the future with bad people. And then in the next clip, what you're going to hear is her issuing a series of apologies for past actions. I want to share more information so that I can properly apologize for this, as well as my past ignorance. In the past, I have appropriated and benefited from Black culture, 
by not researching the history behind memes and poses before recreating them, and I am so sorry for my ignorance. This pose is known as a prison pose, rap squat, or jail pose, and I was unaware of its origins from prison culture as well as black culture. I learned this pose from Magic the Gathering memes and recreated it several times throughout the years without knowing its origins. I am so sorry for recreating this pose without knowing its history, and I am going to take time to delete any instance of me doing this pose from my social media. I also benefited from black culture when I recreated the Harlem Shake and made a Lolita version. I did this because it was a trending meme, but I did not look into the origins of where it came from, and I am so sorry that I did this. I have since taken this video down. I know that both of these incidents have hurt people and probably made it seem that I was making jokes at the expense of black culture, and I am so sorry for that. It, to me, it's just like, unless she is willing to build a pyre in her backyard and climb atop it and burn herself to death, I don't, I'm not convinced she's serious about this apology. <laughs> okay, so first of all, here's what she's talking about. This prison pose, which she racistly compares to black culture. <laughs> I know, I was just like, wait, what? This is an apology? So this is a very common thing that people do. They squat. You like squat for an Instagram pose. Um, you know, it looks to me like I, I don't know how people do this because my knees won't get in that <laughs> position. So it's like a young person's thing to do. So it's also ableist. Um, the Harlem Shake thing. So I didn't realize this, but Harlem Shake, this is according to Know Your Meme, an invaluable website. So there's the Harlem Shake song. So this origin, or I'm sorry, the Harlem Shake dance. So the dance originated in the early 80s with a Harlem resident who went by the name Al B. And then it went mainstream in the 90s with the song, G uh, a song by G Dip featuring P Diddy. So it's this dance, this sort of shaky limb dance. Um, I think it looks sort of like a, like a, uh, not like a seizure exactly, but just some sort of like, I don't know. Like a shaky limb, like sort of zombie-like dance. Okay, so that that originated in the 1980s and was like a local dance in Harlem. In 2012, an American music producer named Bauer sampled a song, the 2001 song Miller Time by Plastic Little, specifically the line, and then do the Harlem Shake, which is an allusion to the dance. Let's just play a little bit of the song here. Con lo terrorista. <laughs> Okay, Jesse, do you remember this song? No, but I wouldn't because I'm not I'm not cool or up with music. Right. Okay, so this so like almost 10 years ago, this song was everywhere. It was turned into a meme. And in the meme, it was this viral dance craze. So the song would be playing and you would see like one person within a group of people, like maybe it's like, I don't know, like a, a teacher in a classroom or uh, or someone in a submarine or like a line of people in a like an army army formation. One person would be dancing and then it would do this like jump cut away and back and then the whole group would be dancing and not doing the Harlem Shake, just dancing. So it's two different things. The Harlem Shake dance is real. And then there is the Harlem Shake meme, which is what she participated in. And I guess maybe in some way you could say that it sort of appropriates black culture because it references this dance from Harlem. But the meme itself is a totally separate thing. And that's what she did. 
this is so it's so hard to even follow the supposed offense or the supposed harms it's crazy she took part in a meme that everybody was taking part in including like the u.s military burn her okay so she then goes on to apologize for a bunch of other stuff that high crimes and misdemeanors that she committed for instance she was accused of performatively supporting BLM because years before the death of George Floyd on Tumblr, someone asked her to, to repost a, a post about the black or the POC victims of school shootings. She sent back a very polite email basically saying like, look, this is like my personal blog. It's a lifestyle blog. I don't want to put up this content about school shootings because I think it would be jarring for my audience. She was incredibly polite. But the person who received this response, who uh, asked her to repost this thing about, you know, the, the victims of school shootings, accused her of, of you know, later when she started supporting Black Lives Matter of just this being performance because she hadn't reposted the fucking, like, thing about dead black high school students or whatever. Okay. So that was one crime. She also apologized for working with a wig company that you, that created a Jezebel bit wig, and the company had a black model holding watermelon. Definitely problematic. She had actually nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with it, yeah. She apologized for featuring in some of her content a little-known Lolita, who it later emerged, wore a Nazi outfit to a club. And the funny thing about this is that when she is explaining what happened, she bleeps out the word Nazi. What? <laughs> I, d I don't know why. I don't know why. Apparently, you can't say that term. This happened. Uh, this emerged after she was, like, you know, briefly featured this Lolita. She did it before the, the, the before the fucking Nazi outfit thing even happened. So she would have had to be like a time exactly, traveler exactly. to even yeah. Okay, so there's this, this series of apologies. The community was basically divided on people who thought that she needed to apologize, people who thought that she didn't need to apologize, as well as people who thought her apology was good and people who thought that her apology didn't go far enough. So she got. So there was a lot of discussion on the video. There were sort of more call outs. Um, you know, then of course, like then some people are pissed that she apologized in the first place. You know how these things go. Okay. Enter Tyler Willis. Tyler Willis is a fellow Lolita cre content creator and also a good or a formerly good friend of lovely lore. This is how uh, Reddit describes Tyler. Now, if Laura is the light, fluffy, lovely, happy Lolita on YouTube, her opposite is Tyler, reigning queen of Lolita salt and the dark mistress who will casually rip apart the asses of any fucker who doesn't toe the line. They're surprisingly best friends and occasionally do videos together. Tyler's channel covers Lolita drama, and she viciously takes down anyone who she de deems to be deserving of it. So Tyler made a response video uh, about what was happening to Laura. Her, her video is called, I'm not sorry, the dangers of an unearned apology. Jesse, we just clicked that link. I want you to describe uh, what Tyler Willis looks like in the whole set there. I find this so aesthetically disturbing. <laughs> it's just, she has like a kitty on her. Okay, it's like a, a fake newscast. Everything's pink or light blue. She's dressed like a, like a fancy child. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe <laughs> the style. Yeah, like a foppish toddler, but she's clearly <laughs> not like, like a toddler from 2021. She's dressed like a toddler from like 1890. But but she's clearly like my age or older. I, I'm so confused by everything I'm seeing here, and I hate that you introduced this to me. <laughs> 
Okay. We will post links to this in the show notes so people can check it out. And also, when you hear her voice, you'll see like why it's so disconcerting because she, she is dressed like a child, like a little girl from the Victorian era, era, but like mashed together with some like weird anime shit. But also, she's a grown ass woman with a deep voice. <laughs> yeah. And like, and like the, the bearing of someone who explained to you that like, why you shouldn't eat that. It's unhealthy. Don't you realize? Like, just elect a Hector. Okay. I, I really like her. Okay. Let's listen to, uh, so this video is 40 minutes long. Um, we're just going to play. Nope. A- <laughs> I watched the entire fucking thing. Um, and then I watched some reactions to it. So if ever, if people ever say that we don't earn our money, I at least do. Okay. So let's listen to this next clip. Welcome back. I'm Tyler. You're watching Scarfing Scarves and welcome to the 84th installment of last week Lolita News. At the top of the segment, some of you will ask why the frack I'm bringing this up after everything's finally quieted down. Others know that that's like asking why you're looking for the arsonist after the fire's gone out. With that said, I still did not want to make this video. Laura's an adult who can handle her own shit and she does not need me writing to her aid on a weekly basis. The United Kingdom is still irradiated from the last time I came to Lore's defense, so this is not just for the sake of defending my friend again. In fact, Lore is in my DMs begging me not to, and this has been incredibly stressful to write because I know she's been through a lot these past weeks and she did what she thought was right, and now she just wants the entire ordeal to be over. However, I don't think I'll be able to sleep at night if I don't do this, and I don't know what kind of friend I'd be if I stood by while this was happening. I have to do what I think is right too, and I hope she understands. Because the moment a group of cynical opportunists backed her into a corner, kicked the shit out of her, and had her grovel for them through the public square, the moment they dressed up their abuse with words like accountability and unsatisfied by her prostration, abused her kindness to get her even further down into the dirt, it became my problem. But the moment this community praised what happened as what true accountability looks like, it became yours. This is bigger than lore or our friendship now, and someone's going to have to say something about it before it sets a dangerous precedent. And considering I wake up every day and choose violence, I think it's high time I turn off that scrap of my soul that objects to metaphorically mutilating someone for pissing me off. With any luck, I'll use this petty sadism for the public good for once in my godforsaken life. Okay, this woman scared me at first, but I like I, I like her now. <laughs> yeah, She's this great. is reminding me a little yeah. bit of like some of how uh, Lindsay Ellis, who's like this big name sci-fi author and video essayist, ridiculous campaign against her. And she basically came back when it was sort of like, fuck you. This is like more people need to do this because as this woman's, what's this woman's name again? Uh, Tyler Willis. As Tyler Willis is saying, these people, the fucking apology Sharia police on Twitter, they're vultures. If you give in to them and you're a gentle, kind, earnest person who takes their criticism seriously, they will do exactly what they did here is they will flood Everything you said in the past, and then we'll find something. I mean, she's fucking apologizing because she did a meme everyone was doing years ago. Uh, I'm glad she has Tyler in her corner because Tyler is scary, but she makes good points. <laughs> well, she apparently does not want Tyler in her in her corner because after this video was released, she posted a statement uh, on Twitter and across a couple of different um, different social media platforms. I'll, I'll read a little bit of this. 
I'm still honestly processing Tyler's video and I didn't even want to address it anymore, but I think there's a few things I think are wrong and harmful in it that I want to say. And then she goes on to say, overall, what I experienced was not abuse. There were statements Tyler took out of context from people who really helped me and talked to me privately and actually supported me th through this more than she did. Tyler didn't allow me the opportunity to talk to her in order to separate the people who were there to help and what I learned versus people who were talking to me. I don't entirely know what that means but she it seems like this video has caused a riff from with her relationship um with tyler she ends it my own takeaway for you reading this is to ask your friends what they need instead of doing what you think they need because i didn't want this video i didn't need this video and it hasn't done anything to help me but but Tyler's argument is that this isn't just about uh, lore, right? Right, right, exactly. It's like the, you're, you're setting norms for the whole community. You're giving a huge amount of power to deranged assholes to just fucking uh, incinerate the reputation of anyone they set their sights on. So I'm, I, I, I think there's – I'm not sure what I would do in this situation. I could see the argument against like just letting it die down, but then it's going to happen again to someone else. Right. I, there is an, eth an interesting ethical question here. Should you defend someone who doesn't want to be defended? And I've experienced this myself. There was a someone – I will not mention this person's name. Someone was uh, – Joe, Ro Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. Someone was called out several years ago and someone who I knew. And I got in touch with this person because I wanted to defend her. And she basically begged me not to and said like I realized that – uh, you know, that you think this is the right thing to do. But if you personally step into this fight, it will make it worse for me. So I didn't do it. Um, but yes, I do think in this case, Taylor is also responding to something much bigger than just lore itself. And in her video, 40 minute video, she dismantles all of the allegations against lore. Uh, she points out that this is, that there's a difference between, you know, the Harlem Shake meme and the Harlem Shake dance. Uh, she just goes through each one sort of one by one. Wait, well, I hope that, I mean, that's, I, I haven't watched the fully. That's silly. You should be able to do the Harlem Shake dance too. Sure, you should be able to like sure. a, a melanin sure. check. Anyway. But if the allegation is that you are appropriating black culture and this thing didn't actually come from black culture, it came from a white fucking mus musical producer. Right. The allegation itself is stupid. But yes, you should be able to do the fucking dance because racists don't own culture. So let's play another clip from uh, from her video. When you apologize for something you didn't do or shouldn't apologize for to appease the feelings of others, you are validating their grievance against you. You are giving their claims your stamp of approval and you are putting yourself in a position where you owe them penance. Now, most of the time, if you don't have a platform of 100,000 subscribers, that penance will begin and end with the words, I'm sorry. However, when you've gotten to a place in a community where a mega stadium is scrutinizing every move you make, all it takes is one misplaced apology to set a precedent that, if left unchallenged, will change the community in a way that is neither healthy nor reasonable for anyone involved. Because when you accrue a following that big, there are certain people who are just waiting for you to fall. They intend to eat popcorn while you're plummeting. Your detractors will be happy to fill in the ignorant on what happened with their own twisted version of events, with each retelling tossing out context in favor of impact. Until eventually we go from lovely lore, who hates Trump, accidentally clicked like on a Trump supporter's post, a party known for its racism, to this is proof that lovely lore is a racist herself. 
And it is for this reason that apologizing for something that you shouldn't can escalate a minor problem into something worthy of making you crawl. When you apologize for something that you shouldn't, you are handing that person a blank check that says you will validate their claims regardless of the truth. You make yourself vulnerable to cynical opportunists hoping to topple you, and you advertise to the wider community that other people's feelings take importance over what actually happened. Man, that's really, really good. Yeah. She just captures like all these dynamics here. And um, I mean, you know, I I'm tilting more and more towards she's al she's allowed to talk about. It. Obviously, yeah. she might be threatening her relationship with Laura, but like this isn't just about the person. It's not. No, YouTube is, <laughs> YouTube is bigger than friendship people. Okay, so it turns out there might be a little bit of a backstory about why Laura, who is, it seems like, very nice and friendly and has been pretty beloved in this community and also very apologetic, was targeted uh, in this campaign. Um, okay, so this is this is a bit of speculation. This comes from my source who told me about this. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. I'm not an expert on this on this subculture, but I found it interesting enough to to uh, to bring up. Okay, so several months before this, Laura did a reaction video to a documentary, a British documentary called "It's Not a Fetish: Exploring Lolita Fashion in the UK." She was lightly critical of the of the documentary, which had come out two years before. Um, she was critical of the title. She at one point did a little fake British accent. Um, she didn't ask for consent from these documentary makers before she referred their video, which you don't have to do any more than we have to get their no, consent before not. we talk about this shit. Um, and so the maker of this documentary demanded a retraction and threatened legal action against her. Laura removed the documentary, apologized, apologized also for debt. So in her reaction, she dead named a trans woman who was featured in the doc. In the documentary, she wasn't out as a trans woman. She was presenting as male. Laura didn't know this, that she had subsequently- Oh my God, this is ridiculous. She's supposed to- and the Yes. This is all so it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But still, she apologized and took the video down. Okay, so my source suspects that it was the British Lolitas who were pissed about this, who started this campaign after she accidentally liked the, uh, liked the photo. So- so, once again, we possibly have a case where this isn't actually about the crime, the crime itself. It's not about the photo. It's not about these other offenses. What this is about is some interpersonal bullshit that these people have, have, uh, laundered through the sort of guise of social justice. Well, and, and that was the one part of this I didn't mention. I think a lot of the time, this is just about like it's a crabs in a barrel thing where you're trying to jockey for position. And the best way to do that, you can't just be a bully because that's out. What you can do is be a bully by acting in a social justice way. Exactly. So um, we're about to wrap this up, but I want to I wanted to read you something that my source sent me. One of the things I find interesting about this drama and the reason I follow it, despite not being into Lolita fashion myself, is how it's pretty universal across most hobbies and communities. Lolitas in particular have had a long history of gatekeeping their community, both by having strict rules for what counts as Lolita fashion and by being vocally anti-kink. The community is supposed to be centered on an appreciation for J fashion, that's Japanese fashion, but it is sort of orbited by cross-dressing fetishes known as sissies and the daddy dom little girl kinksters. <laughs> I don't want to know any of this. But you can see why the kinksters would latch onto yeah. this community. 
While most Lolitas in 2012 would probably have agreed that they wanted their community free of fetishes, as those things became normalized all over the internet, it's becoming more and more taboo to gatekeep your community. So a lot of the conflict within this community arises over instances where people try to use the fashion for sexualized purposes or simply misrepresent the Lolita community and Lolitas pile on to gatekeep. And lately, it seems like there's a push away from gatekeeping and more to an everyone should be welcome side of things. To me, it's like a microcosm of how hobbies communities are torn between establishing rules and guides versus new people wanting to come in and change things. Tyler is more of an old school grouchy gatekeeper who wants to keep the community free of sex best, while someone like Laura is a lot more kind and accepting to the extent where she maybe grants too much leeway to those who want to guide the community away from its original intention. Damn, there's a lot going on there. And that's such a... There are many echoes there of stuff going on in other communities. Yeah, for sure. The blocked and reported community has yet to experience any sort of schism like this, but I'm looking forward to it. I think you can self-identify as a bar pod fan, whatever fetishes you have. That's my view. What if you self-identify as a bar pod fan, but you don't actually listen to the podcast? Should we gatekeep those people out? I'm against gatekeeping. Okay. All right. Everybody's welcome here. Big tent. This was a very surprisingly interesting, very fucked up thing. But yeah, I'm on team Tyler. I'm glad Tyler stood up for her friend because we need to, we need to stand up for the bullies. And also, uh, Lore was in such a weird, diminished mental state from all this bullying that, uh, I don't trust that she can defend herself at this point. You know what I think would be would solve this problem? I think you need to get into Lolita fashion. I can see you in a little bonnet, maybe some lacy gloves. Yeah, throw some uh, throw some photoshops at us. I'm sure that's what the world needs right now, listeners. <laughs> All right, Jesse, I think that's it for th- for this. Anything else you wanted to mention? No, no. This has been a, uh, a rich and thoughtful episode, as always. Thank you, Katie. This has been Blotter Reported. I'm Jesse Singler. Remember. Have me on as a regular guest, Joe. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, thanks to community feedback, we have removed the Jewish banker from the list of mascot options.